mansplain this to me, would you? <laughs> uh, I think you're supposed to mansplain to me, Alan. That's how it works. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Tuesday Night Podcast, the podcast about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and under our tables. I'm talking tabletop games. And with me today, I have a very clever Canadian I believe I met at BGGCon in person. Yes. Hi, I'm Nicole. I am up here in Toronto, Canada, so not very far from Alan. And I write for the Daily Worker Placement blog, doing reviews and articles there. And I also am co-host of Great Way Games podcast with Aaron and Adrienne. Yeah, so you do podcasts too. How did we meet exactly? In your mind... How do we know each other? I had actually been listening to the podcast and I know Paul Dean from Shut Up and Sit Down. And so we all ended up playing games together one evening at BGGCon and he introduced me to you. Yeah. And I was automatically taken aback with your candor and attitude of welcoming others to the game table. So you automatically put me at ease. And it's one of those things where instantly I thought, that's one of my people. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I'm I'm pretty pretty happy to sit down and play a game with almost anybody and play almost any game. Uh. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said almost anybody because is there a line that shouldn't be crossed? Like, at what point do you say, "Nope, I'm not going to play a game with you"? So, very specifically, I'd like to hear more about you, if possible. Sure. I have a conundrum, a question, because I want to knight a knave. Have you heard of the Night to Knave program that we do here? I have, yeah. I, I got a little teary-eyed listening to the last one, actually. <laughs> ah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you uh, tweeted that, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be part of the process of knighting a knave. So let's start with this. I don't think I'm out of line by saying that you are a woman, female, Yes. And you're in this gaming industry. Yeah, sure. Um, I started gaming, I mean, I played games with my family when I was younger, but I really came to hobby gaming when I was sort of in my early 20s at university. I started playing D&D and I played with uh, like a good mix of people, actually. Like my DM was uh, a guy who played with probably like almost a 50-50 mix of people. I mean, it was in Australia where I grew up, so it was pretty white where I lived, unfortunately. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, sorry to interrupt. Was I wrong in saying that you're Canadian? Do you consider yourself Canadian, Australian, or Canadian, Australian, or Australian, Canadian? Uh, I consider myself Canadian, Australian. (laughs) Okay, very good. (laughs) Uh, I'm a permanent resident here now. So I grew up in Australia, and in larger cities especially, there's a a bit more of a multicultural mix of people, but where I grew up was very white and when I started to meet people and start gaming, it was very white. And then I moved to Brisbane, Australia, in Queensland to go to university and study anthropology. And I was still playing D&D at that point and joined the University Games Club. Got to meet like a better range of people through that, which was really eye-opening to me. And I also got to try out some board games for the first time, like Ooh. hobby board games. Uh, so Carcassonne. Do you remember your first one? Uh, I think it was Medici, actually. <laughs> Which oh, wow. was um, pretty pretty intense. I remember playing Medici. I remember playing Carcassonne. I tried Talisman. So there was a good mix of stuff in addition to us playing. Uh, we had a couple of regular campaigns of 
D&D and we were playing in the Living Greyhawk uh, living campaign of D&D at that point. So it was like the early 2000s. I slowly got kind of interested in looking at gender and role playing. And so I actually did an ethnographic study as part of one of my anthropology courses about gender and D&D. Is this something that we can get a hold of and read? <laughs> I have a paper copy of it here on my shelf, but it's not online anywhere. I never went to publish it or anything like that. It was, I mean, I was an undergrad at the time, but... Nicole, this is, this is the moment... <laughs> where I get to inspire you to put it in digital format where you can even revise it to your current beliefs and standards. Yeah, I would probably need some revising, I think. But um, <laughs> I mean, that was uh, a good long while ago now. I'm sure that I would cringe at my academic writing style looking back on it. But <laughs> I, I think it would be it would be fun to revisit it, having had a switch to board games rather than role playing. So this the, that paper was very much about performativity of gender and how you can play a character that is not your race, not your gender, and what that means as far as how people take on those characteristics. Do you have a go-to character that you've kept alive through your Dungeons and Dragons all these years or no? Uh, I not have not, no, but uh, I did way back when I was still playing, I think it was 3.5. I had a great Hobbit character called Pip Troublefinder. It's a good name. Uh, he was like level 23 or something like that. And he he just wanted to find trouble and treasure. He was all about that treasure. Of course, I have to ask, did you start at level one? No. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, because that's crazy. That Yeah, that would have been a long-term campaign. No, we had a friend who started us at level 20 because we never really seemed to get past about level three or four with all of our other stuff. Welcome so. to the rest of the world. Absolutely. <laughs> so I totally derailed you, though. You're going on this journey. So at this point, you're in sure, Brisbane, yeah. Australia. Is that yes. where we left off? And you're yeah. working on anthropology. Yeah, so I started doing some uh, board gaming back then, thanks to the University Games Club, and sort of fell away from D&D a little bit as I got busier with finishing up my degree and doing my honors. It was tougher to maintain campaigns and have the time for that. So uh, it was easier for me to just like every so often sit down and play a board game. And I started to buy board games, play them with friends outside of the games club, which was quite fun to me. <laughs> I hadn't really sat down to play games with people that weren't already kind of playing D&D with me. Uh, and so, yeah, it opened up a whole world of gaming that I hadn't experienced before that was uh, a little more accessible. Uh, I kind of gamed very casually for a number of years. And then after moving to Toronto, what was the allure? Why Toronto? Uh, I, I had friends here and been living in the UK for about a year and a half on a working holiday visa there and then came here on a similar kind of one just because I wanted to see what it was like to live in Canada. A couple of years after moving here, there was a board game cafe that opened up. And so I started going there once a week to play board games and got to know a lot of people here in Toronto through that. Uh, I met my previous partner that way. I've met my best friend here in Toronto that way. She's Scottish, moved here and was working there. And so that led to going to a bunch of conventions and meeting people like you and getting into reviewing and writing and podcasting and all of that jazz. So, yeah. I don't even know what you do for a day job. What do you do for a day job? I'm an executive assistant to uh, one of the deputy directors at the Royal Ontario Museum here in Toronto. 
Wow, so, that's super nerd. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm all about them museums. It's been really great. I've been working there almost three years now, and it's fabulous going to work at a museum every day. Yeah, and I don't actually work in the industry, like the board game industry. That's not my day job. So No, no, but you do contribute a lot. So what was the step into it? What was the allure? Did someone come to you? Did you say, hey, let's start a podcast, or I'm going to start writing reviews? Um, so for the podcast, we've been doing it since October or November last year. We're just about to release our 10th episode, so we do them monthly. We don't actually talk about actual games at all. (laughs) Two friends of mine, Aaron and Adrienne, we had just a Slack channel to chat, not for any particular reason. We would just invite in people that we wanted to chat more outside the limit of Twitter, where we all kind of got to know each other. We were constantly kind of coming together to vent our frustrations about things we were seeing happening, especially in online spaces with regards to board games. What? So, <laughs> Are you saying there's toxic things that happen online in chat rooms and whatnot? I, I know, right? It's a big surprise if you're not a woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we would talk about things like racism, homophobia, queer phobia, transphobia, sexism in the way that people speak about other people in the hobby and the way they post on the forums on BoardGameGeek, for instance, and the way they speak about things on Twitter or in podcasts. And we we got sick of being frustrated and we got sick of just feeling negative about it all the time and decided we would create a podcast that allowed us to talk about board gaming and the culture of board gaming and the people and everything that's not actual board games and put a positive spin on it. Right. I have to say something. I'm a white male, and I've had my life threatened online via Kickstarter, like a backer. Oh, man. Backers. (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty intense, though. (laughs) Right. But I don't think that's what you're saying. I don't think you're saying, oh, Kickstarter backer, and it's not because I was a white male or anything. It was because I was not timely on delivering two rooms and a boom to them. We had some delays. (laughs) It was an understatement. Yeah. In all seriousness, explain Uh, this to me. I mean, I've had a lot of times where I've butted heads with people about the use of mocking accents, especially. Um, Oh, so this involves audio. Yeah. So like on podcasts or in a thematic game review that somebody did where there has been this almost like audio version of yellow face. Right. And that means affecting what you assume to be Asian characteristics. That is a blending of all of these cultures together, not looking at them specifically as all of their discrete cultures, which there are many of. Right. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm a white woman and it didn't directly affect me, but it really put me off listening to that podcast because there's just this unapologetic nature of it's just a joke. We're just having some fun. Who's it hurting? And when the people that it's hurting speak out and say, hey, you're taking my identity and and using it as a joke, it's really not okay. A lot of people tend to think that that's taking things to extremes or being too PC and not having a sense of humor. And I get accused often of being too serious about things. I love humor. I love making my friends laugh. I love comedy. I'm a pretty lighthearted person. I will back you up. We've had laughs just between (laughs) you and me in the short time that I got to hang out with you. You're definitely very lighthearted. Absolutely. Yeah. But when it comes to things like this, I take a serious tone. It matters to me very much that I am not stereotyped and not represented poorly as far as being a woman. It makes me uncomfortable when I have 
friends of color whose cultural identities are used as jokes. There has also been a lot of discussion about the representation of women and people of color in the art of games. That comes up quite often. Right. <laughs> There's a number of publishers that are really getting it now, though, which is so fantastic. I love to make mention of those when I can. Fl Flick 'em Up is a really great example. That's a really fun game. I love playing it. But all of the characters that you play in that are represented by these little dude cowboys. And the only female representation in that game is a, a kind of a damsel in distress. Uh, so there's no agency there for women playing that game at all. Some people might say, like, it's just a fun dexterity game. But you know what? Like, there were some badass lady cowboys. And <laughs> uh, I would like to see that kind of thing represented. Representation. And, uh, yeah. If you look at the company that makes Coup, Indie Board and Cards, I yeah. know that there is a great mix, not just of sexes, but of races in the Coup character line. There's been a lot of great stuff in some other of their games as well. Um, Aeon's End has a number of playable uh, women characters, and there also is a really great spectrum of age represented in that game, which you really don't see a lot of. It's true. Like it's kind of magic users in that game and that typical thought of like sorcerers, it's like sexy young men and women. And it's like, no, it's like all sorts of characters are represented in that game, which is really cool. Trickster is another one that they've just put out that was illustrated by Beth Sobel, who is one of my favorite board game illustrators. And she works very hard to have great representation in her art. Yep, there's a lot of people up in the higher levels of board game publishing that are white men. And there are inherent biases in how you live your life, right? depending on what your privileges are. You just might not think about representation you just you just make a game and you put people in it that make sense to you it's important to the people who sit down and play the games and they see themselves in that game right for instance i grew up in a suburb of cleveland and it was all white folks certainly as soon as i went to college and now every place i've worked i've definitely been the minority working in downtown cleveland yeah but i have to be real i don't want to just pretend oh i'm above all this I don't want to treat you like you're the end-all authority because I also have a question. <laughs> I'm absolutely not, yeah. But I do want to get your opinion, and this may be controversial. And I know we're friends. So before we get into this, we're going to be friends before I ask you this, and I'm confident we're going to be friends after because we're cool like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to put myself out there, and I want you to be honest. For World Championship Russian Roulette, our second game that we put out, there is a quick tutorial video that doesn't tell you all the rules. It just basically gives you a pitch while telling you the lighter end of the rules and how to play World Championship Russian Roulette. So in this video, I used a Russian accent and I said, hello comrades, welcome to World Championship Russian Roulette. And the funny thing is, is that Geek and Sundry reviewed our Kickstarter, which was really cool. And they said, Tuesday Night Games hired an actual Russian to do this video. <laughs> Best compliment I've ever had. Wow. Definitely not Russian. <laughs> But what do you think that is? Is that a cultural appropriation? Is that misrepresentation? What do you think? And be honest. Uh, I mean, it feels like doing an accent to me. I mean, I'm not actually sure of regional variances in Russian accents. 
So I don't know whether that is fully representational of what an accent would be in Russia or not. It's certainly one that I've heard in movies. I don't necessarily think it's a cultural appropriation issue. I mean, my, my concern with the use of and I, quote unquote Asian accents is that it very much lumps an entire continent and subcontinent <laughs> of people together where there are very discrete cultures there and it, it negates their identity. Whereas what you're doing with a Russian accent I don't believe negates anybody's identity. I think it's an accent that you're doing. Well, I think we can tell the difference. As judgmental as this may sound, I think if you don't know the difference between an actual Asian and Jerry Lewis's depiction of an Asian. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he does that voice. He does the hyper, just regionalized, insulting accent for sure. How you do? Welcome once again to This is the Weather. This is Ted Chickadico. We you the weather report on behalf of Ralph Yakanako Rickshaw. But you know, I, I'm also a white Australian Canadian woman who cannot come at it from a perspective of understanding like if I were Russian if, and if I heard that, would it mean something more to me? I think what I would say to you is if somebody ever brought it up to you from their perspective as having a Russian background and had concerns, I think you would listen to that. I think that you're the kind of person that would take that under consideration and hear their perspective on it uh, instead of just saying like, oh, it was a bit of fun. It was a joke. Like I meant nothing by it. I think you would listen to their concerns. And I think that's the most important thing that anybody can do. Well said. If there's one thing I learned is you should never disagree with someone when they're sharing their feelings with you. Because when you say, I felt insulted or I felt attacked or I felt unhappy about this, I can't say, no, you didn't. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I even have the right to say, well, no, you shouldn't have. But I can't say, oh, that wasn't my intention. And I apologize. I think looking in hindsight, one of the best things I should have done was instead of throwing out this video, I should have asked. Maybe I should have asked around like, hey, does anyone? In fact, if you're listening to this and you're Russian and you've listened to the World Championship Russian Roulette quick tutorial video and you're thinking, hey, that's not cool. Please let me know. I'll totally talk to you about it. But that's probably what I could have done in hindsight is, I guess, ask. Is that crazy to think? No, it's not crazy to think that. It's something that I think people are starting to do a lot more of. And uh, maybe it'll result in a little bit of information in your rule book about the context. Ooh, I like that. Uh, Lewis and Clark Expeditions has a great piece in their rule book to preface everything about the context of that game, where it sits in history, and the reason that they use the terminology Native Americans versus any other terminology. So they really thought about that, which that shows a little bit of presence of mind, I think. Right. And I mean, the publishing world has something called sensitivity readers. I think that we could do with that in board games, for sure. Sure, if it's good enough for books, why not board games? Absolutely. Yeah, it just uh, takes... Five, ten minutes to put your work out there and just say, does anybody have some thoughts? Or, you know, look at getting somebody in to consult. It's something that people do for a living. (laughs) It would be enormously worthwhile to start thinking about that in terms of uh, representation in games and the way that people are, are referenced. It should be in their own terms. Hey, I like that. The most important thing is... If somebody calls you out on something, they might be feeling emotional about it. Try not to take it personally. When I speak to people about this sort of thing, I try not to approach it personally. I try to approach it very much as the thing that happened or the the item in question rather than going,
going at them as a person because I've come from a very, very conservative white background and I live in possibly one of the most multicultural cities in Canada now. And I lived in London before this, which that's out of control multicultural right there. It's really hard to come to a place where you see the world as not just yourself. And if somebody's coming to you and saying, look, I think this is doing me a disservice or I think this is doing people of color a disservice. The way that you're approaching this is not helping our community. It's not going to help your game. It's not going to make people listen to your podcast. Is this a fair comparison? I know this is oversimplifying it, but let's suppose Mm -hmm. someone steps on my toe and I say, hey, ow, you're stepping on my toe. The appropriate response isn't, well, hey, man, that's just what I do. I step on your toe or even, oh, well, I didn't mean to step on your toe and it's just a toe step. I didn't mean anything by it. Is it correct to say the appropriate response is, oh my goodness, thanks. I may not have realized that. I mean, I had an idea. I might be stepping on your toe. This is ridiculous. It's falling apart. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's No, it's, I think it's a fine analogy. Like just be aware that People are going to come to you with things that might feel like an attack to you. Just take a little time to listen to them and think about other people's perspectives. I think that can only lead to more positive things in our hobby, especially when we're talking about things online, on Twitter, in Facebook groups, on BGG forums, anywhere, on podcasts. Hey, that sounds totally fair. All you're really asking is, hey, slow down, breathe, and consider. So that sounds fair. It it doesn't sound like you're asking people to totally change who they are. Nope. Consider the ramifications of what you're doing and what you're saying and try and think about that going forward. Is it bringing people together or is it tearing them apart? Huh. Exactly. Well, hey, speaking of being fair, so we have our Knave to Knight program, right? Where knaves write in. Yeah. And they become a knight. Yeah. You know this. We talked about it earlier. I do. What do we call a female knight? Because we've been saying, oh, it's Sir Byron Morgan or it's Sir Will Bowler, the Black Knight. Hmm. If you were to write in and you're female. Now, I've done some research on this. Would you like to hear my research? I would. I'm interested. I'm glad that you looked into this. Yeah, I did. Uh, And you'll see why. Obviously, there's a reason why I'm making this. So (laughs) one school of thought says, well, instead of just giving the sir title, just make it a knight. So knight, Byron Morgan, knight, Kathy, for instance. Mm -hmm. The other argument is just treat them all the same. Sir, so-and-so. So if it's like Sir Kathy or Sir Byron, you just keep the moniker, sir. The other is historically argued that the highest rank that females could achieve would be dame instead of sir saying dame. Now, for me, when I think of dame, and I shouldn't say my opinion first, I should just let you go. But when I think of dame, I think of 1920s. Yeah, bring the dames in. See, (laughs) See, I think of dames as in royalty in England because I'm from the Commonwealth. (laughs) Right. So uh, that's where my mind goes to. For sure. And so that makes sense because it's cultural. Because when I heard Dames, it was totally the gangster movies depicting the 20s. And what do you think? What would you prefer? Uh, I would say uh, like Lady or Dame. There's a there's a great YA series called Lady Knight by Tamora Pierce, which is all about uh, this young girl going through to become a knight. Uh, and she's like the first one to ever go through and all of the rest are young men. So Lady Knight, perhaps. But Dame or Lady, I think would be fine instead of sir, for sure. Well, with that in mind, I asked the same question to Becky Rolf. And Becky Rolf wrote in 
our first female Nave Tonight submission, and I asked her what she thought. And her response was, with regard to the title, I think it's a tricky one. I don't feel like it should just be Knight, but I'm leaning towards Dame. Either one would be cool, though. Nice. But where do you think Becky's from? I don't know, actually. Maybe she's, uh, maybe she's British. Let's find out. You tell me, speaking of accents <laughs> and representation, here we go. Variety is the spice of life. That's my opinion, at least. I love gaming, but unless it's a very short game, I will rarely play the same game back to back. As I finish one game, I'm ready for the next. A different challenge, different feelings to invoke. I value variety so much I can't even claim to have a favourite game. I have games I prefer for different moods, but I couldn't choose one game and one game alone above all others. And that's what made this day different. The day of the panda game. We are visiting my wife's parents. They aren't gamers. So if we play games with them, it's usually a mainstream trivia game or three-card brag at Christmas. We've introduced them to some party games such as Codenames, but generally they're aware of our hobby, but not involved. Knowing that they would be out when we arrived, we packed a game for just the two of us. We fancied something light, so picked up Takinoko, both being fans of tile placement games and adorable pandas. We were halfway through our game when Kelly's parents arrived home. Her dad took him myself off to the shed, but her mum hovered around to watch our game. Interested, she sat down at the table. We explained the moves we were making, and as we finished our game, we asked her if she wanted to join in. She did. So we set up for our second game. Kelly's mum picked up the rules quickly and was making her own moves with little assistance from either of us. We hadn't been playing long when Kelly's father, Alan, came in to see what we were up to. A builder by trade, Alan's a man's man. His interests include beer, motorbikes, and football. Faced with a room of three women sat around a colourful board covered in bamboo and a tiny plastic panda, his interest was piqued. He sat down and watched as we continued our game, questioning every move we made. It wasn't long before he was even chipping in with his own suggestions of moves we could be making. Why don't you play, we suggested, and to our surprise he accepted. We set up our third consecutive game of Takinoko with Alan playing his own game. No longer a backseat gamer, the winning strategy tips he had been doling out didn't prove to be so winning after all, and he lost the game, but seemed to enjoy himself in the process. Happy to have introduced Kelly's family to something new, I went to pack away the game when Alan stopped me. We need to play again, he told me. That was just a practice game. So we set up another game, which again he lost. One more go. I was just getting the hang of it. This time Alan came in second. Just one more time. I can win this time. So we settled down for our sixth game of Takinoko within five hours. I can't remember the ins and outs of the game, but I do remember the important bit. Alan finally won. Satisfied at that point, we stopped. I still prefer variety and I'm not in a hurry to repeat our marathon session of Takinoko, but the experience made Kelly's family more open to hobby games and since then we have been able to introduce them to other gateway games. That panda game is still Alan's favourite though. That is delightful. That was so wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) In your opinion, before we even break down that whole story, do you think Nave Becky Rolf deserves to be Dame Becky Rolf? Heck yes. 
Yeah, Dean Becky, what up? <laughs> <laughs> All right then, name Becky Rolf, take a knee if you will, and let us and the fellow Tuesday nights knight you or dame you, Dame Becky Rolf, and please rise as Dame Becky Rolf of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Yay! <laughs> uh, just to be clear, of course, different Alan, that I'm not her partner's father. Right. That'd be weird, though. Yeah. We probably spell it the exact same way. Probably. Because it's only, like, in America that I've noticed that they spell it differently. Yeah, the two L's. You're right. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. A-L-A-N. <laughs> I really liked it. Also, I, it's kind of fitting in that it totally was the man's man coming in and refusing to quit until he totally won. Way yes. to represent man. <laughs> so. <laughs> Just get get that win in. I think that's a, well, and it's testimony to the strength of a game like Takenogo as a, a gateway game. Like to draw somebody in like at, while they're watching somebody else play and then be like, okay, no, let's play. Like we've got to do this. <laughs> it is very visual. Those pandas are adorable. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't think anyone's immune to the charm. And I'm glad that that means that they're playing other games with them now. Like that's fantastic. I love these stories. And I love that this is where our podcast has gone as far as like the stories around the table. That's where it's at. That's why I'm there. I've been enjoying them greatly. So good on you all out there. <laughs> Nicole Hoyt, would you mind letting our listeners know if they want to follow you, how should they do so? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My username is at iHeartMuseums. And I also run the Twitter accounts for Greatway Games, which is just at Greatway Games which is the podcast I co-host. And I also run the Twitter account for the Daily Worker Placement blog, which is at DWP underscore blog. And hey, this is the Tuesday Night Podcast. We want to give you some advice. So if you have any tidbits in your life going on, you want us to advise you on, I don't know why you'd send them to me or the podcast. Or if you have a Nave Tonight submission, please write us at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. I'm Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. You can find me on the tweets and on the Facebook. And I think with that being said, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. But this episode is... Oh, finished! person I have not had to instruct to say finished. Yes. Do, do you know that? First person. Everyone else had to say like, you have to say finished. So congrats on being the first guest that has not had to be instructed. I'm so pleased. <laughs>